0: Welcome to the Tea with Bree. I'm your host, Bree. Thanks for listening. The Tea with Bree podcast is focused on deep, honest, and vulnerable conversation. Each week, I sit down with a different guest in order to have those conversations. Every week, we'll start my guest bio and intro into how we know each other, and then we'll go into a deep dive conversation about whatever topic they brought to me that week. This week, I'm joined by my guest, Ashlyn Riley. Ashlyn, is an Austin-based therapist, licensed professional counselor and licensed chemical dependency counselor, specializing in addiction work, trauma and life transitions. Before going into private practice, Ashlyn worked for over 10 years directly within homeless services and the mental health community. Ashlyn has worked at a variety of nonprofits in town including the Salvation Army where she was a shelter director for the new shelter that opened in February of 2020. Earlier this year, Ashlyn was awarded the Alumni Achievement Award from her alma mater, South University, for her work in opening a shelter during the pandemic and her dedication to serving those who are underserved. Ashlyn is passionate about educating the community around the realities of homelessness and mental health in hopes of minimizing stigma and creating a safer environment for all who live here. Hello, friend. Hello.
1: I'm excited to be here.
0: I'm uh, thrilled <laughs> to have you. We've been talking about this episode for forever. So I know I'm excited to get it together. I know. Um, and we've been friends now for s- uh, almost seven years, six, almost seven years. I met you in 2015 I when know. I interviewed for a job, sort mm-hmm. of. <laughs> sort sort kind of. of. Yeah. Um, And then we've, yeah, we've just been friends ever since. And then we kept running into each other. So here we I are. Know trying Here to save are. the world um I want everyone to know that Ashland is also a Pisces so we're gonna have some big feelings <laughs> so if cry, don't mind us don't mind we spent five minutes talking about <laughs> cults when we first got on the on the recording so you're in good company today if you are a person with big feelings who also is obsessed with true crime specifically cults mm-hmm. we however are going to talk today about homelessness specifically i feel like in austin it is a big point of conversation especially after prop b plat prop b passed over the summer um you and i met because we were doing similar work with folks experiencing homelessness um so yeah i just i would love to know your background of how you got involved in that work and then we can just see where the conversation takes us
1: yeah oh man that's always such a difficult question because i feel like I've known I wanted to work in this field since I was a kid, you know, I, I had an experience where, you know, I, I interacted with someone who was experiencing homelessness and kind of like had this light bulb moment of like, man, this exists, this is real and no one's doing anything about it. And so, you know, 13 year old me was like, this is what I want to do with my life, which is wild to think about that I'm here now. I know, you know, and so going to college Uh, you know, just naturally moved into social work and I I really haven't left this field since, you know, I, I might not work directly in homeless services at the moment, but I'm really passionate about mental health as well, which, you know, there's a huge overlap there and wanting to give back to the community and make sure that everyone has access to resources and that,
0: you know, they can be safe. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I kind of, People ask me too, because that was my first like big girl nonprofit job was I was working um with folks experiencing homelessness. And when I started, I was 24. So like what did I even know at 24 mm-hmm. to be working with like actual grown-ups going through like actual life things. Um, but yeah, I first started working at this organization in Connecticut called Alpha Community Services YMCA, obviously a branch of the YMCA. Um, and we were doing affordable housing. So we had our own housing sites that we ran ourselves, but then also we worked with a lot of other orgs in Bridgeport, Connecticut that were also helping folks experiencing homelessness. And so when I first started at a client, Workload of about ten to fifteen folks who were experiencing homelessness, like were living in shelter, out of their cars, or couch surfing, and so my job was to help them get some sort of income so that they could either qualify for affordable housing or have to get into housing. Period. Um, but I often think back of like what got me into it. and it was kind of the same thing. Like I grew up very privileged, but in one town over was like more of a city field. I grew up in Hamden, so for people who can who are aware of what Connecticut is, like Southern Connecticut. I'm about an hour train ride from New York. So folks would come in from New York and settle in Connecticut. Um, But New Haven was one of the cities closest to me. So where Yale is, there's a lot of people experiencing homelessness. And so that's where my church was that I grew up in. So I was just always seeing people experiencing homelessness. And my whole life, my family was like, hey, we give back when we can. We volunteered at shelters and soup kitchens and all that sort of stuff. So when this job sort of presented itself when I was 24 I jumped at the chance and you know my first three months of working there I was able to get all my folks either get them an income or get them housed Um, and then I was transitioned over to permanent supportive housing which is on-site case management and affordable housing site and yeah I think having worked with so many of those folks um, and then when I moved to Austin I worked at Foundation Communities which does affordable housing and doing on-site case management there Um, but I think so many folks there's still like this idea that people choose to be experiencing mm-hmm. homelessness or that they're lazy or that, you know, everyone who is experiencing homelessness is um, dealing with the mental health crisis. And I just think there's so much stigma wrapped in that of, especially after this last year, I think that really helped to debunk some of the stigma because it was like mm-hmm. we were all just one paycheck or one medical emergency away from not being able to afford our homes or our apartments or where we live and yeah so I think there's just like so much that I think we can (laughs) can sprout off of but yeah I just I guess like what what is like what are some things you want like why you've gone into this role of like helping to kind of end the stigma and just give a voice to people who are constantly ignored yeah I mean
1: I mean I think probably is a, a great example of like because of the misinformation out there, then something like that passed. And so for people who don't know what Proppy is, it passed here in Austin, which means it's um they banned camping. And um so people who didn't have a place to go and were camping outside can no longer do that. And like where do they go? You know, mm-hmm. we don't have enough shelter space. And so it's, you know, super unrealistic to think that they just can solve that overnight. And mm-hmm like you said there's just so much stigma around this idea that people are lazy or that they're just not working hard enough or they want to be homeless and it's such a an infuriating thing to think about you know and i i don't know i could ramble on about that mm-hmm. forever but what i want people to know is that like people are not choosing to be homeless um you know, like you said, this pandemic has kind of given us all a taste of what it could be like if we lost our job mm-hmm. or couldn't afford rent. Um, and I think that's key, especially here in Austin, um, where there's lots of people moving here and rent is going up, which makes it, you know, almost not affordable for people who are working full-time mm-hmm. jobs. And then you you think about people who are only getting minimum wage and, Or have a child and it, you know, it's just, it's not possible, No, Um, you know, and yes, mental health might be a factor in all of this, um, but mental health is a factor for people who are housed as well. And that doesn't mean that um, people don't deserve a safe place to go because there might be some mental health or there might be some substance use. I think that's another one I hear Mm. as well, of course they're using drugs. So they, they deserve to be sleeping outside and no, absolutely not um so I just want people to understand that like we are all living a very unique life and we could all be in a situation where that could be us um and we need to do whatever it takes to help those who are in that position
0: you mentioned prop b and I have to (laughs) get on my prop b Mm -hmm. soapbox because the amount of fucking feelings I have oh yeah around Austin and so like you like you said I for those of you who don't know, I did a e, pray, love <laughs> for like a month. I took a road trip and left Texas yeah. for a month after Prop B and then Senate Bill 8, which is around abortion because Governor Abbott is the fucking worst, um, yeah. which I got a shirt that says fuck Gre- Greg Abbott that I need everyone to go by. I'm going to put in the mm-hmm. show notes anyway. Yes. Um, but I needed some time away to kind of reassess if I actually wanted to live here. And I've really been sitting with the quote from James Baldwin that talks about America, And essentially, it's saying that like you can love something, you can love the place you live and be critical of it. And I am so critical of Austin, and people get mad at me because I'm a transplant. I get it, blah 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 blah. Um, But I've lived here six years, and so I feel like I'm allowed to have an opinion about where I live. And Mm -hmm. the thing about Austin, it is a very wealthy city. Um, There is also a very—it's a bubble, like it is a blue bubble of quote liberalism—and you know, it's one of the top places to live, but. Austin has its problems, and I think mm-hmm. we need to re- live, like legitimately talk about that and how Austin as a city needs to work on being anti-racist and what that looks like around, you know, folks experiencing homelessness. But then also how the city is so spread out. Like if you don't have a car in Austin, it is very hard to get around. Mm-hmm. Public transportation isn't where it needs to be. I mean, they're working on a bunch of stuff right now to upgrade um, our our buses and our sidewalks and the train that we have, but it's going to take a while. Like they have to essentially like rebuild the whole system that they have in place right now. But I think about prop B that just passed and it always makes me think of the statistics of there's about, I I can't remember how many folks experiencing homelessness in Austin, but there's a stat that says Austin is about 8% black, which is wild. Um, But then about 32% of people experiencing homelessness are black. Mm-hmm. So we need to unpack what that means as a as a structure of white supremacy of mm-hmm. why are there so many people who are black in this city who are experiencing homelessness. Um, but I mean, we also see how in prop B, it was a lot of people on the west side of 35. For those of you who aren't familiar, Austin is literally split down the middle by our highway, which is I 35. Um, the east side is always predominantly more people of color, lower income, and the west side of 35 was typically more wealthy and white. Um, but gentrification has happened and the east side isn't the east side really anymore, but it's still mm. the west side is still very much the west side. Um, and so we saw, you know, they call it the crescent in voting of like how it was literally all the outer areas of Austin, specifically on the west side, that is wealthy and white and nowhere near downtown or the domain or any of the places where people experiencing homelessness would live who voted against prop B and a lot of that is just so when they do come to these major places they don't have to see it or when they have people in town who visit they don't have to see it and so the structure of white supremacy of not having to literally quote unquote deal with people experiencing homelessness because your privilege doesn't you, you don't have to if you don't want to mm-hmm. um but then also like you said the city they did they were doing something i don't even know they were doing something this summer against prop b if you ask me a little too late sorry to say it um that you know trying to get people to actually know what prop b meant and what plans we had in place but i'm also like why weren't we saying this at the beginning of the year why did we wait until right before the election to start this conversation so again city council's busy we know that but i'll send you to do better not natasha harvard madison because she's my favorite um but there's just so many things that I think also is the privilege of Austin is that you can ignore a lot of things if you want to. Like I try to listen to every city, every single city council call, because that's my nerd level. Um, But I also just like to be informed, but how You know, some people can't sit and listen to city council calls. They don't even know what's happening. Or, you know, during this sort of conversation we were having earlier this year, we took a piece of old property. I think it was the Home Depot up on St. John's and talked about making that affordable housing and how many people would call and just, you know, we're against it saying they don't want they're the NIMBY or the not in my backyard people who are like, I don't want people who were or are currently homeless or experiencing homelessness to be in my neighborhood but then I'm like, but you don't want them to be experiencing homelessness. So what do you want? And this new housing site would have like on-site case management. It would have more resources because that's the major issue of all these people experiencing homelessness typically are around downtown at the Arch, but there's really nothing there for them. There's like mm-hmm. no real services. There's not, you know, therapy or, you know, a clothing closet or really anything that's serving them down there. It's just a place to kind of go and be. So the, the fact that we're trying to make this, you know, try to solve a problem is it's great. But I feel like, you know, there's only so many nonprofits in town, including ECHO, which is I always mess up the acronym. So I have to look it up. Um, who are trying to do this. And, you know, for for those of you who don't know, there's this thing called the point in time count that happens every January. Um, to go around in in cities and count how many people are experiencing homelessness. Austin does it every year. Um, Most cities do it every other year. Um, But to have volunteered on that for a number of years and see how many people were living out in the woods, people were living, you know, in the back of like restaurants or would just be staying there to sleep overnight to look for something to eat. There's just so many systems that are in place to like make it so people who don't want to see it, don't have to see it, or can just simply ignore it, or, you know, keep that sort of stigma in your mind. But like I said, any of us could be experiencing homelessness, God forbid, at any certain moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this kind of band-aid solution, too, that we see here in Austin is, like, I was Honored to work at a brand new shelter last year and help open it up, um, and I think a lot of people think that that is a solution to mm. homelessness, and it's not. And I know right. that that's going to upset a lot of people to hear that, but that that doesn't end homelessness. That might create a safe space for individuals or families to go, but that's not solving the problem. And in some ways, it can actually just perpetuate the cycle that people get stuck in. You know, um, when there's Qualifications to getting into housing programs like income or going to doctors, yeah, going to doctor's appointments on time or whatever the case is, participating in case management, you know, those type of things, then you're creating additional barriers for people to get into housing. And like another thing I want people to understand is that if people cannot get their basic needs met, you know, food, shelter, whatever, then how, how can they keep a job? How can they get into housing? You know, like those are things that we all take for granted every day that we have a safe place to sleep and shower and eat. And when those don't exist, then other things can't exist. Um, so, you know, affordable housing and having low barriers to get into housing, you know, uh, not having this criminal background criteria or income criteria, those things need to go away so that people can stay in in housing.
0: Yeah, I really want to touch on that really quickly. Of, I'm a big fan of the housing first model, which is yeah. a very like low barrier to housing. So the housing first model, so a lot of affordable housing sites or uh, places that serve folks experiencing homelessness will make it mandatory for anyone who is using substances to be sober which for a lot of people is unrealistic right like sometimes Mm -hmm. especially for someone to get sober on their own can be actually very detrimental specifically alcohol like for you to try to kick an alcohol habit if it's that bad could actually be dangerous and deadly um Mm -hmm. so it's like you're saying all these sort of things that are put into place to just make it you know so difficult of like you know you can't have a criminal record or you it has to only be like certain crimes and then you know you have to be seeing a doctor for your mental health stuff but you know it's folks who don't feel comfortable going to a doctor especially if they're a person of color um and then you know we also have like when people do get housed it is a very hard transition for a lot of people if if they have been homeless for a while like i once had a gentleman who you know, we put him in housing. It was a studio apartment that was fully furnished. And yet he still used a tent inside because he was just used to that. And, you know, that's fine. He was, he was safe. He was, he was housed, but you know, it takes a minute to kind of get out of that sort of brain fog of, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the life I've gotten used to. But yeah, I just think there's so many, so many things that come with that, that I just think people think like, also you just put him in housing and that's it. Like there's just, that's not a solution either like it's it's so hard for folks to i hate to say it but the best way i can say is like quote come back to civilization after being ignored for so long and that's yeah. veterans That's people who, who have been using substances as folks with mental health emergencies there's just you know there's there's a huge population of lgbtqa plus youth who are homeless there's just so many different things that happen in order for a person to become homeless and so to just house them i think that's the one solution is also not it but then also like you were saying of they think that it's just a lot of people take it for granted like you cannot mm-hmm. apply for a job without an address right? Like okay, they, yep. it's like there's just all these things in our system that are so set up to like keep folks disenfranchised and that's that was that was always one of them for me is like you like I would love to get a job but I do not have a physical address to put on and I'm like oh my gosh like just something you wouldn't even really think about but yeah. Also, I want to circle back really quickly. I realize that you and I have been yeah. saying people experiencing homelessness versus homeless people. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk more about that as to why yeah. that, that sort of language is used? Well, I think there's a lot of judgment when we
1: use homeless people, you know, mm-hmm. like what, like it's a choice or that they, you know, this is who they are. And really, it's a situation that they are just experiencing Um and that there is a solution and there is grace in that and that, you know, they're not what people think, quote unquote, bad people, right, mm-hmm. for being in this situation. And so I think it's just really taking that stigma and being mindful of like, this is not who they are. It's just a the situation they're in.
0: Right. Absolutely.
1: Just, just well, go. you know, like I'm thinking about just what you were talking about, about the address piece and mm-hmm. then thinking about Proppy and just things that I get so upset about. Um, I was driving down Riverside, which is a, a, an area of town where a lot of people had been camping mm-hmm. prior to B passing and it's completely empty now. And one day when I was driving down uh, that road, I saw I don't know if it was the city or whomever. I'm not going to, I don't know. But they were literally just throwing people's shit away. Yeah. Um, just garbage trucks, throwing people's tents and belongings. And uh, like to see that, I don't think people understand like how traumatizing that is to just mm-hmm. have someone come into the space where you are sleeping and are feeling safe and just everything gets taken away from you. And that could include your ID and your birth certificate and all of those documents that you need to get an address or to get a job or to just function in this world. And then all of your clothes are being taken away. Your shelter is being taken away. And it's like, you know, it's like, they're not being treated as human. And just, it just makes me so sad that, that people can just separate themselves from that situation like that. You know, like they're not people at all. I I just can't imagine going up and just being like,
0: here, I'm going to throw all your shit away now. Well, I think it's that. Like, I was I was just having a conversation the other day with a friend because we were driving downtown, and it's um right by where the old Easy Tiger used to be downtown, mm-hmm. and it's just and there used to be a lot of camps over there, and it's yep. it's for me it's overwhelming and sort of like shocking to see it so empty again because I remember back when I first moved there, there moved here, there there was that camping ban back then. This, this the band got yep. reinstated this year, but. Also, the structures in place of when they do find these camps and break them up, people get Mm -hmm. fined. And -hmm. then you're also now asking, you're now giving a fine to someone who is one living on the streets, Mm -hmm. two probably has no income. So now they can't pay this fine. So then there's a warrant out for their arrest. And then once they don't show up to court, then they're in jail. And it's just like, does these systems in place that just keep folks disenfranchised and Mm -hmm. trying to have that conversation with people of if? the amount of wealth that is in austin i think if people actually sat down and looked at the the budget of the city of austin which i have done because again i am a nerd and i really had questions during the police budget situations that were happening yeah quick pause also let's like think about what the police coming into your space means for trauma for a lot of people Mm -hmm. yeah not you know especially that's a whole other soapbox (laughs) especially people of color (laughs) yeah back to the budget um of how much money we have been spending on the police which again if you ever just feel the need to make yourself angry look at your city budget specifically your police budget and see the shit that they pay for mm-hmm. and how they treat civilians i mean and this comes from last year around all the riots and you know we have the two young boys who were assaulted by the police one i don't i have to check and see how he is i haven't even heard anything but you know who was shot with a quote non-lethal but then was in the hospital for god knows how long yeah. um, and then another young boy who was walking away both youth of color both gentlemen youth of color mm-hmm. um who were was another one who was shot and was in the hospital for i think like a month um then you had the police saying that like you know the reason why they were using non-lethal quote-unquote ammo was because um their shields weren't working i go how do your shields not work they're <laughs> a plastic <laughs> Like, they're like, they're throwing ice water bottles at us, which is why we're using pepper spray and all that other shit. I'm like, you have literal shields. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't need to be assaulting civilians. Um, But then there was another, (sighs) there was a city council call about a police budget for a grant that was paying, like, I think, like, half a million dollars. Don't quote me. But it's essentially for this one department in the police department that literally its only job is to return stolen cars to people. Do you know how me many cars are stolen in Austin? Less than 100 every year. Yeah. But yeah, there's a whole sect of our police budget. That's about half a million dollars, if my memory serves me correct. Also, Austin has one of the highest police budgets in the entire country. Yep. And so last year, you know, we we're having this conversation around, you know, we added another option to 911 to call for mental health emergencies um, that mental health professionals show up to instead of the police. So we maybe will lower the amount of people murdered by the police um but yeah just really unpack you know trying to as a city unpack what defunding the police meant but you know how that like we're saying this all kind of ties together with folks experiencing homelessness because it might not directly affect you because of your privilege or you know what part of town you live in which also ties into your your privilege but I think Austin as a city really last year holding up a mirror to itself of like oh my god we are not as great as we thought we were and you know we have celebrities who live here. Freaking Elon Musk, who if he doesn't give me a million dollars personally, he does nothing for me. So I don't right. care about him. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just we have South by, we have ACL, like we have so much wealth that comes to the city alone that I'm like With F1,
1: like it does not oh,
0: bring in like millions and millions of yeah, dollars. The too? way, yeah. I'm so sorry, I don't mean to be rude, The way I don't understand <laughs> freaking racing. So you good? Okay. Shit, not not don't not I, I don't know. I don't get it either. But like, you not, know, focus, focus. Not the <laughs> Um, but yeah I just there, there's just so many things that happen in this city that are just just wild to me like and I, and, I, and, I, and I say this because I I want people who live in you know quote unquote these liberal cities like Austin to be paying actual attention to what is happening because mm-hmm. like you're saying you can live in that bubble you can live in your little this is what happens to me in my dome and in my circle of friends and this is all I need to worry about and it's like if you are gonna be, an ally period. I don't care who is an ally to you should be really focusing number one on the police and you know mm-hmm. the the homeless the people experiencing homelessness in your city. Yeah my, my soapbox.
1: <laughs> yeah well and I mean I might have this number wrong but wasn't it like eight percent of the police budget could end homelessness in Austin mm-hmm. which is wild right 8%. like that 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 would just be like nothing to them mm-hmm. but it can make a difference in our community
0: you, and yeah.
1: Yeah, and kind of to add on to what you were just saying, like I, I want people to question like why it's so upsetting to you to see someone sleeping outside. Why does that make you so mad to see? Mm -hmm. You know, and why do you want to get rid of it? Um, Because that that is something that I just can't understand. Is to me that that's heartbreaking, and I want to do something about it. And people who are just like, nah, this is uncomfortable get them away they're lazy whatever the narrative is they have Mm -hmm. like I want you to question that and and why that's really
0: bothering you yeah um (sighs) I'm looking up the I'm trying to pull up the numbers now and you know as of August uh 23rd of this year there's a headline from KVU that says approved Austin police department budget for fiscal year 2021 to 2022 is over 443 million dollars with an m holy shit holy million shit. million <laughs> and i want to point out that in august they also had an article that says um, in reality, Austin City Council members slashed or reallocated only $150 million from the police budget by a separating programs such as the forensics labs and the 911 dispatch to create indes- independence. So what they did was they took $150 million in order to, like, like I said, add that third option on 911, but then have diff- have 911 dispatch to another um, mm-hmm. sort of sect of the of the of the governance in the town. But then also, what was the other thing they did? Oh, and the forensics lab. Hmm. which I know this isn't the episode we're talking about it but the forensic lab in Austin had such a backup like a backlog yeah. that they literally had to separate it from the police department so that another lab could handle the forensic lab um so it's like that's including you know rape and sexual assault cases that's including you know all these other things that happened in town that the forensics lab could actually get some stuff done but look at your police budgets because yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. yeah. Yeah, sweating talking about this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, I know. I feel like I could go into a rant about like, yeah, and look at the the things the police are actually doing. You know that they are saying is helping the community. That's not, you know, I I have so many examples in my head of having to, you know, there's mandates within organizations to call the police if X Y Z happens, and then police not helping or hurting the situation more and. Mm it's kind of fronted as like no we're helping because we care but it's really like no we're just perpetuating this horrible cycle people are in
0: well one of the things that always gets me is when people talk about like nowadays like the police who sort of monitor their route don't live there like back in the day the police Mm -hmm. monitored where they lived right and now it's like you have a stranger coming into your community trying to tell you what's going on. You're like, wait, you don't you don't know us. You're not from here. You don't mm-hmm. give a crap about us. You don't know this person. You don't know Miss Gladys who's in the corner. Right. Like, you don't know what she's going through. But yeah, I just think there's just, I would just love a way, which I'm interested in seeing this new, I think she's the new, what is it? They just hired this amazing Black woman. And I can't remember if she was like police oversight or something else, but i'm excited to see what her being here does because i feel like there's a lot of conversations around how how do we make the police better i mean we mm-hmm. have to really unpack the history of police which i know this episode wasn't about this but here we are. Yeah. um about how you know this affects all of us because i mean we're not there the police come in contact with so many people on a daily basis that'll make this all loops mm-hmm. together like it all overlaps for sure so yeah yeah so thank you so much for chatting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know uh, we could go on for days. about. We this. could days, days. Mm-hmm. I know. I just feel like everyone is going to be already enamored by our conversation around yeah. not being an asshole to people. Experience <laughs> yeah. um, and it's not hard,
1: people. It's really not hard. You okay, know, I, I don't know no, if this is relevant, but I'm yes. just going to say this because I think this is another thing I see a lot is like, oh, my God, people are asking for money. I, I don't want to give, give them I just to say this. Yeah. And you know what, guys, like, don't give people money if you don't want to. But that does not mean you have to be an asshole. Just you can wave, smile and move on. Mm -hmm. There's there's no need to make someone feel bad for asking for money. You're not obligated to give people money. But yeah, don't be an asshole, please. For the love of God,
0: please. Yeah, (laughs) it's not that hard people like it's a safety thing like you're saying you don't have to roll down your window you can just you know no Mm -hmm. thank you Mm -hmm. um but some of the folks I used to work with like you know people just smiling was enough like a lot of people were out there asking for money like they don't have any real human interaction right Mm -hmm. so a smile or a wave or just saying okay I don't have anything but I hope your day gets better or Mm -hmm. you know if we're going up the street I had a friend who's like I'm going up the street for a coffee and I might come back this way if I do would you like anything like yeah you know, it's just little things like that to remember the humanity in these mm-hmm. folks who are experiencing homelessness. Like it's it's not it's not hard to not be an asshole. I know some of you think it is, but it's really not. It's really not. So yeah. Yeah, I knew you're as soon as you said, I was like, I have something else, like I know what it's gonna be. Mm-hmm. I knew it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I will be sure to link some of our favorite organizations in yeah. the show notes um Ashlyn's a professional counselor I mean I don't know if she's taking clients but I think you know if you can afford her do it yeah
1: definitely and you know like homelessness and and ending it and educating people is something I'm so passionate about so please ask questions if you're confused or just want clarity like I want people to ask instead of assuming and being assholes
0: truly so I send out show notes to people. Ashlyn, you put so many notes in here that I need to link. I'm like so excited about them. I take it. I take the assignments seriously. I appreciate it. People are like, I never know. I'm like, yes, we're not scripted, but I also like people to have notes. Not the point of this. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, at the end of every episode, I like to ask a sort of palate cleanser question. Yeah. Um, and that question is, what is the best advice you were ever given? Or what is the piece of advice you would give to your younger self?
1: Yeah, I thought a lot about this because, <laughs> yeah. It's a difficult one, but I think like there's two things that came to mind immediately. Um, the first one being that uh, when something ends, it doesn't mean it's a failure. I think that's, that's how we automatically go to is like, oh, it didn't end the way I wanted. So I'm failing at this mm. and kind of reframing this idea that when things end, sometimes it's just run its course and that it's not a failure. Um, and I think that just kind of goes along with this idea of like really doing stuff for yourself, Setting boundaries, taking care of your mental health, your physical health, and putting yourself first, and trusting yourself with that, you know. And I think yeah. uh, something I wish I knew when I was younger was that don't stay at a job that you hate or that's detrimental to your mental health and mental well-being because there's yeah. this idea that you should stay at a job for a year so it can look great on your resume. Absolutely not. You know, the the more we Honor ourselves and those yeses in our lives, then
0: the better. That's it. For this is episode of The Tea with Bree. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Tea with Bree. Send me an email at The Tea with Bree at gmail.com and visit the website The Tea with Bri podcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast A special thanks to Mama Duke for our theme music, and I will talk to y'all next week. Bye.